Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. All right, crowdfunders, how is everybody doing out there in the land of crowdfunding, in the land of raising capital, in the land of building an audience, in the land of marketing yourself and spamming people and being annoying and telling people to back your project? I hope everybody is doing well. Man, we are off to a great week here. Things have been hectic over at One Wenzel Way, but... uh, you know, we still make time for, uh, uh, for, for talking to project creators. So coming up on today's episode, we are going to be talking about something that I know each and every one of you out there has probably had to deal with, right? And that is your pantyhose ripping. Yep. I'm sure all of you have done this, right? All of you have had this issue. Well, I know a lot of you women have had that issue. If you are listeners out there, I know my wife's had the issue. So we are going to be talking to Catherine Homoff, and she has a solution. Her company is called Sheerly Genius, and she has created indestructible sheer tights made with bulletproof fibers. If that doesn't keep you listening, I don't know what will. I don't know what I'm even doing. If you're not going to listen to this interview that's coming up here in a little bit, I mean, you know, how did you even get to this point? How are you even here right now at this moment? So that's what's coming up. Catherine was a great conversation. She's got a lot of, um, she, well, not a lot, but she's got a, well, she has a lot of history in startups and really had a great sense and presence around how to build a company. And this is not her first uh, go around. So the campaign's doing really, really well. And we're going to break all that stuff down here in just a little bit. So, so I mentioned earlier, why is it so crazy at one Wednesday away? Huh? Well, Last week was some winter break thing, so the kids had school. They were off, or they were off school, I should say. They didn't have school. They were off school. So we decided to take a quick little mini vacay, um, and we went to the great town of Sandusky. So if, I, if you're familiar with this, you know, the, there's the Cedar Points there, but they also have some water parks. So we figured, you know, it's cold out. We'd go to a water park, get a hotel room, and, and you know, basically be in water for a couple of days. So we did that. Um, and that was, um, you know, it was like going to night. It felt like it was going to the mid nineties. The hotel had that vibe to it and a little beat up of a hotel, but I'm not, I don't know what my, my expectations were actually quite low and the place hit all my expectations in a nutshell. Um, but so that was that part of it. Nice trip. Kids loved it. Um, and so ended up, we had, you know, we came home, I think it was like a little after Wednesday afternoonish. And we rolled in to our house being completely flooded. That's right. We brought the water with us from the water park. And, um, so, and I, when I say flooded, I mean flooded. We currently have zero carpet in our house. Everything's been gutted. Uh, we had drying stuff in here. And, um, you know, we have, we, we basically, are, it's like we're living in a cave at the moment. Um, and we have to wear our shoes everywhere because it's messy. Um, yeah, so apparently we had a whole bunch of rain here last week, Monday and Tuesday, when we, when we were out of town. And then the snow melt, and it was basically this perfect storm happened, and uh, our house got completely flooded. So we are in still in chaos mode. Uh, we are anticipating some new carpet rolling in here shortly, uh, maybe in the next three days or so, or maybe early next week. So, so we're putting up with it. But man, it has been an adventure. That is for sure. Um, 
Ugh, it's just been hectic, man. Uh, I've been sleeping on a couch because the kids are sleeping in my room with the wife. So I'm tired right now. It's Tuesday morning and I'm tired. Uh, but you just got to fight through it, right? Got to fight through it. Just put up with it. But yeah, that's what's been going on here. So it's been crazy. There's no doubt about it. It has been crazy. Uh, yesterday was our business partner, Sean's birthday. Sean, happy birthday out there. He's one of our regular listeners. The other thing that we have a little bit of a secret coming, I'm going to hint at it a little bit. We're going to talk about it more in the next few weeks here on, on the episodes coming up. But uh, Mr. Sean Neal is creating a podcast that we're going to be launching sometime in March, probably early March here. We're going to be launching it. And I'm going to have him on here in a couple weeks to talk about kind of his what, what he's doing, who he's interviewing. Uh, but I got to tell you, I heard, um, I heard some of the interviews not too long ago, and uh, they're good. They are very good. So I hope he doesn't. He doesn't. I hope he doesn't trump the successfully funded podcast. You listeners, you guys got to keep listening to what I'm working on, right? Right? See that? I'm getting, I'm getting jealous. I'm getting nervous. Just kidding. Just kidding. No, it's all about making great content here. And I think what, what Sean's put together um, story-wise and theme-wise is going to be really in, intriguing for entrepreneurs and, and people doing crowdfunding campaigns and startups. It's going to be a really interesting take on it, um, on you creatives out there. So, um, so that's going to be airing and um, coming, to, uh, coming to your ears soon. We're putting that together right now. We're putting the final touches on some stuff. So I am excited about that. So what else is going on? What else is going on? Let's see here. Um, well, oh, I got my car back. My car was in the shop. That happened the exact same time, too. I started it when I got back. I didn't drive it, so I, we had an alternator problem a few weeks ago. I got a new alternator, and then they put another alternator in because that one didn't work. Um, and I drove it for about four miles and all the lights came on. It was like, blah, 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 blah. You got, you know, so I took that up to the, to the dealership. But of course, when I got it up there, um, and you know, they went to look at it a couple of days later. Yeah. It, they couldn't find the problem. They couldn't, they couldn't recreate what I did. And I don't know why I didn't think to record what was happening. Cause then I have to explain to people. And I, I, that feels like every time when I take my car to the dealer, like to a, um, a place to get fixed where I'm just like, no, I swear it was doing this. I swear it was doing this. And I never have proof. And then I have to try to explain it in, you know, non-car terms, which I'm not good at. So I'm always just like, um, well, you know, like, so the battery light was on and it was like blinking and they're like, oh, okay, well that happens sometimes. I'm like, yeah, but all the lights were on. Oh, really? Are you sure, sir? No, I'm sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that all the lights run. That's why I brought my car here. That's why it's here. That I didn't. I don't want to bring my car here if something's not going on. Where I'm like, hey, I don't know if I should drive this, right? So I had to deal with that. But ultimately, they had the car for about five days, and they never could replace the issue that happened for me. So I have it back here. So we're gonna, you know, we're gonna roll with it. You know, we're gonna see what happens. Um, I hate cars. I really do. I'm really not into them. I would love a scenario where I had there was some sort of public transportation system that was actually available. But you know, living here in Detroit, we're Motor City, so. That is not how we roll here. We have to have to. Everybody has to have a vehicle. <sighs> so what else? What else? What else? Things are going well here in the agency. You know, we're 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 humming along here. The first quarter has been been pretty successful. Um, we've got a, a couple of interesting things. If you're interested in some growth hacks, I've got a new blog that went up today um, that you can sign up for. And each week, I'm gonna I'm gonna send you some growth hacks, things that you can do to to kind of you know, pump up, pump up, pump up, pump up your business, you know, um, get those subscribers or get whatever you're looking for. You know, I try to keep the growth hacks kind of, you know, all encompassing of, of all kinds of stuff that you can, uh, you can do to, you know, 
create engagement. It's a, it's tough out there with uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram changing all the times, changing the news feeds, changing the rules on this sort of stuff. But uh, but yeah, so that's that's something that I'm out there, you know, dropping off and delivering uh, daily, weekly, whatever I can, whatever I come up with, I'll share that info. So uh, go check out my new blog. Yeah, go over to Woodshed dot agency backslash blog and you can check out the growth hack one so all right i think that's enough of me ranting oh by the way go check out and subscribe to the mini podcast that's where i uh, break down stuff in, a, in short 10 minute intervals um it's kind of similar to like a radio show um you can go over to itunes right now and subscribe to that um and those come in three or four times a week while i break down bigger conversations like we're doing today so go make sure you subscribe to that make sure you like i said you check out the, the new blog today um, and then the biggest thing of all, go check out Catherine's campaign, Sheerly Genius, indestructible sheer tights made with bulletproof fibers. Really great story of entrepreneurship, great story on, on how to overcome adversity in terms of making a, a product that doesn't exist. Um, currently right now, they've got about 27 days to go as of right now when I'm uh, taping this. Um, they're at 584 backers. You know they're at eighty thousand dollars, but they could be definitely doing more. So let's get on board with them and support that project because it is a great, great campaign. So all right, let's go ahead and kick my conversation with Catherine from Sheerly Genius. All right, Catherine, I've hit the red light button, so you can probably feel the pressure now um, of <laughs> having to having to pre- perform, and we got we to gotta make a great <laughs> podcast episode. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, why don't we start off with a simple sound check here. Why don't you tell my listeners what you had for breakfast this morning? I had a sesame bagel with butter. Okay. Any coffee, orange juice? What kind of beverage went along with that? Water? Uh, an English breakfast tea. Very nice. What kind of, so what, what does that equal? What's an English-style tea? <laughs> Uh, it's the specific tea bag is English breakfast. It's like instead of an Earl Grey or whatever, and then just some sugar and milk. Okay, very nice, very nice. It sounds like a healthy breakfast, is what that sounds like. Is that a healthy breakfast? Is that? I, I think it's like know. a pretty carb heavy breakfast, but okay. Uh, okay. but you know, it's not not the worst. <laughs> All right, good, good, good. All right, well, I think we're sounding good. Let's jump right into it. Um, so, why don't you tell my listeners what you're currently raising money for on Kickstarter? Yeah, I am raising money for the world's first pair of indestructible sheer tights. Uh, the company is called Sheerly Genius, and we've used bulletproof fibers to create the world's strongest pair of sheer tights, also known as pantyhose. Um, and most women understand the problem where you put on a pair of tights, and if you are lucky enough to get them on without ripping them, you'll probably rip them some point without throughout <laughs> the day. Um, a lot of women have drawers that I call the pantyhose graveyard filled with dozens of pairs of pantyhose, all of which have holes. You put on 10 pairs before you find a pair that you can get out of the house in. Um, but our pantyhose sort of solve all of those problems. They're rip proof, your ring, Velcro, wooden benches. Um, they're all no match for, for Shirley Genius. And it's been about a 12 month R and D process, um, that we've been working on this product and we're super excited to get it out to the world through Kickstarter. Wow. So I appreciate you just explaining what this one drawer is for my wife. I didn't know what was going on there. It looked like a black hole of just stuff going on. So that's what that is. All right. I, exactly. The pantyhose graveyard. <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. So, you know, where does this, I mean, this seems like a 
no-brainer idea that should have probably been fixed a long time ago. So where does it for you start to become like a project that you're working on? Yeah. So I was actually a software entrepreneur. I started one of the first pre-order platforms um, for hardware and wearables type products. So after Kickstarter and Indiegogo, people would use our platform. And that got me really into the whole physical product space. And I got acquired by a very large manufacturing company and got to work with a lot of um, people creating really cool physical products. And as much as I loved the manufacturing side of the world, I got a little bit tired of all of these like connected everything, connected things, <laughs> right. connect, you know, water bottle to the internet, connect whatever. <laughs> and I just like, I, it got a little bit old to me and I was like, this doesn't seem useful. Um, but I still believe that there was a lot of innovation that could still be done in physical products. And um, when I stopped working for that company, I started really thinking about what I wanted to do next. And I started working on a few different products side by side, but um Panios is always something that had been aggravation to me, but looking at the problem, I thought there was this space for innovation, didn't necessarily need to be a connected product, but you could still completely change a product category by just doing things better right. um, and using science to do it better. And I fell down this rabbit hole of just learning about fibers and knits and yarns and um, eventually realized that, you know, while there'd be a lot of challenges and while it'd be really hard I, I got had this gut feeling that we could do it, that we could create this indestructible product. And that's exactly what we did. And there were no shortage of uh, issues. I mean, the fibers um, that we first started with ended up being way too thick. Once we found the right fibers, they were still too thick. So we had to create our own. They weren't dyeable. So we had to develop a way to color it in the extrusion process. Hmm. They were too strong. So they broke all of our pantyhose machines. So we had to reconfigure the machines to work with these strong fibers. It wouldn't stretch. So we had to figure out ways to combine it with stretchy fibers that wouldn't compromise the end strength. So it was just sort of thing after thing after thing that was a challenge. And it became clear to us why this product didn't exist already. Um, But it also was just such an incredible material science problem. And I just sort of fell in love with the whole process. Wow, that's awesome. You know, why do you think other companies haven't done what you've done or haven't taken this? I mean, is it, I mean, it it sounds like you did so much work, you know, is is it just that alone or what, what, what do you think it is? Or is it a business thing? You want people to continue buying these things every, you know, every other day or something like that. I I think you really hit on, on, hit on both of them there, right? Like it's both incredibly hard and a, a lot of the science to do this is pretty new in terms of the fiber side of things. Um, so it would have been a big challenge for the industry to do and would probably still be a huge challenge for the industry to attempt to replicate. Um, but there's also this level of planned obsolescence, mm-hmm. right? Like the fact that you have to buy a new pair every single time <laughs> is great for the industry. Right, right. <laughs> um, we, And we want to take this product from something that is disposable and about 320 million pairs of pantyhose end up in the landfill every year to something that's a little bit more like your underwear, let's say, you know, eventually you should replace it, but you're not going to have to replace it after everywhere. That's interesting. I didn't even think about the, uh, the landfill aspect, uh, aspect of this product Uh, that uh, they don't really biodegrade. What, what happens to old pantyhose? Where do they go? Uh, they go into the landfill and it takes about 50 years for them to degrade. Wow. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't even I didn't even put that together. I I, I think it's I'm still thinking about that drawer. So I think they're all in there. 
I'm looking at my wife right now. You can't, exactly. You can't pull I think them out. I think a ton of women just have them in their drawer, and I don't know what we think when we're keeping them in that drawer. It's like <laughs> right. they're broken. Like right. I, I, we don't want to throw them out, but like we're not going to use them. I don't know. I don't know why we just keep them. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll let you ladies figure that out at some point. So. Uh, <laughs> So this seems like such a big, huge undertaking project. This doesn't seem like something that you can just do in your garage and then, you know, or your basement and then pull it up on Kickstarter. You know, where do you sort of start taking on this big of a industry problem per se? Yeah. So, uh, this is not my first, uh, venture backed company. I raised just over a million in financing, um, for my last company. Um, when we started this product, um, we had some great initial investment uh, in the company from industry veterans from the manufacturing side and the fashion world. Um, so this has been something that we've taken very seriously from the very beginning and, um, plan to, you know, continue long after Kickstarter. So, um, definitely see Kickstarter as an incredible community building tool, place where we can find early adopters that understand the vision of where we're looking to go. But um, we see this company as being a lot more than a Kickstarter project. Sure. Well, and, and what, you know, I, I think this is good for people who are starting in, in this sort of field where you're taking on a big project like this. But, you know, what do you say in sort of pitch decks? What's your overall vibe and tone to get that initial funding to allow you to to do what you're doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I'd say that in the earliest days, it was a lot based on just me, my vision, and this gap in the market and telling a story of where I want to take this. And some of the early prototypes I was showing were just so awful. Like I had some fiber, but they looked like cheesecloth. (laughs) They were white and like weren't pantyhose. And the fact that people believe me Honestly, it was just sort of a, they must have been doing me a favor, right? Like (laughs) the product was not there. And, you know, slowly over time, you you start with those people that, that trust you and they're really just investing in you. And then as you go, you get more credibility in the product. And at this point, we're at a point with the product and the market and Kickstarter where you know, you don't need to just be investing in me as a person to understand the value of what we're doing. You can look at the product, you can touch it, you can understand the vision that way. So I think you have to really like start with the people that believe in you and it kind of cascades from there as you get more um, progress with the company. How long was the total from that prototype that you just mentioned to where you are right now, how, how long was that? Um, I had my first like aha moment prototype in June of last year. We had gotten other prototypes <laughs> before that, but none of them worked basically. Like we went through a lot of stuff that didn't work. Um, but in June we had um, this fiber, this incredibly strong, but still fine fiber knit into basically it just like was a square of fabric Um and that was being shipped to me from one of our manufacturing partners. And this was before I had investors. This was before um, we had any real manufacturing partners. Um, so this was all just my money doing a little bit of early testing. And um, I was so excited to get this sample because I like knew that if this worked, it meant we had a business. If it didn't right. work, like we were back to square one. Um, and I actually called FedEx and I drove two hours to like the next FedEx stop to get it. Cause I'd have to wait like a whole weekend or a whole day <laughs> if I didn't like drive to FedEx to get it. And I sat in my car and I opened up the package and, um, it felt sheer. It like couldn't be torn apart no matter how hard I tried. And like that moment was when I knew we had something real. And that's where, um, we started moving more into actually raising real money and getting real manufacturing partners and really taking it to the next level. But that was my, okay, this could 
be possible this could happen. Right, right. So I, 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 how did you kind of get through those moments of, do, do I actually have a business here? Do I actually have an idea? Like, like what, how do you fight through those sort of mental blocks that probably have popped up, I'm assuming? I mean, every other day is probably one of those moments, right? As an entrepreneur, if not every other hour. How'd you get through it? How'd you get through an hour ago uh, to get on the call with me? Yeah, for me in my life, I think it's been surrounding myself with other entrepreneurs that has been the most important. Um, being able to have people that you can talk to that actually understand what it's like to be an entrepreneur, that understand those highs and lows. My husband's an entrepreneur. Um, most of my friends are entrepreneurs. And I've really just created this support network around me because, I mean, it's been now about a decade that I've been an entrepreneur. And without that support network of people that get it, like, my mom can tell me everything's fine, but I'm just going to be like, you don't understand, mom. Right. It's not going to be okay. Um, but having those people that can like tell you like an even worse story or how they made it through something or like that you're in it for a longer game than just today. Like having those types of people around you for me has been super important. And then um, also I think as an entrepreneur, you just build up this like muscle against adversity. Mm -hmm. Like look at problems as like, opportunities right. or chances to like prove yourself. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, the people that tell you no are really just people that are giving you the fuel to like get to the next level. And I think if you don't look at that in that way, as an entrepreneur, you're going to like have really bad days and trust me, I've had those, but um, I think the more that you can look at them as opportunities and also realize that like this company is not the be all and end all, but of course you want to do your best, right. but you know, you are a separate person to the company, which I think is a very hard thing for a lot of entrepreneurs to see. It's sort of like, if this company dies, like I've failed at life and you know, that's, you know, life usually goes on. Sure. Um, sure. and after a few failures, you kind of realize that. <laughs> so, um, so you kind of mentioned about the moment where you knew you had something, but what do you think was the deepest, um, moment where you were like, I just don't know if we have something, um, you know, I, you know, was there a moment where it was just like, there, we have no answer to this roadblock we're in right now? Um, I think a lot of people around me felt like that a lot of times. Like, I know there were times that like our fiber manufacturer or our manufacturing partner felt like that because mm -hmm. they came to us and they're like, uh, like it didn't work. Uh, obviously we don't have a product. Right. And my mind was always immediately like, oh, okay, then we can do this. And like, then we'll try this. And like, here's, here's the next thing. And I think as an entrepreneur, you're always just like looking to the next way. And we never got to a point where I was like, okay, it actually doesn't work. Um, but I know a lot of people um, around us that are, you know, from a more traditional background sure. of product development, you know, some of those roadblocks, they're like, okay, well, you know, it doesn't work the way we're used to doing it. So it doesn't work. And you kind of have to like, be like, okay, well, let's look deeper into this. Let's look <laughs> at all the options. And, right. and especially in something as traditional as textiles, right? getting everyone it takes a whole ecosystem to create the product and getting everyone in that ecosystem on board to see the vision and be in a problem solving mentality as opposed to just like, okay, this is the way it's been done and it doesn't work. Right. Right. Um, that, that's sort of been a lot of my job in this is just like getting everyone to like, like, okay, this didn't work, but what's next? What can we try? What are our options as opposed to just stopping? So as somebody who sounds like you and I might be some kindred spirits of, uh, you know, um, keeping the kittens in the basket and keeping the morale up all the time, you know, is that something you felt like you learned or is that just, you know, God gave it to you or whoever gave it to you, gave it to you, you know, like, or do you think that that's something you've, you've learned 
just in life? Oh, I think it's for sure muscle that gets built over yeah. time. Um, I, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur. There's no doubt about that. I wanted to be an entrepreneur since I was like 10 years old, but um, I'd say like I was probably a pretty bad entrepreneur. <laughs> well, we're all bad <laughs> at first, I right? I mean, you know. Like, um, and I think you always look back at your past stuff and you're like, oh my God, I can't believe I did yeah. that. Um, but for sure, I think like the more times that you like try to manage people and fail or try to start things and fail, you know, every single time you learn. And um, I think that it's something that you build over time. I think the natural want to be an entrepreneur is something that's a little bit more uh, nature versus nurture, mm-hmm. but I think the actual skill of being able to do it is totally something that you have to learn through trial and error. And oftentimes it's the, the failures that teach you a lot more about it. And with this project in particular, it's really been about trying to get people to see something that doesn't exist yet. Right. And in past things that I've worked on, you know, we need to build this thing. It's a lot more clear. It's like, okay, we just need to put in the right number of hours and we're going to get there. This was a lot more exploratory, right? Like mm-hmm. we didn't know if we would ever get right. there. And it's really just painting that picture to be like, we think we can get there. Don't lose faith. We're going to figure it out. Um, so this is probably one of my first times doing something that was so unclear in terms of whether we would ever be able to get to the final product in other startup scenarios. It was more like, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to make enough money to make this a real business. (laughs) And that's more the thing you're selling to the team. This one initially, it was more like, I don't know if we're ever going to actually make this work. (laughs) Um, So I think as an entrepreneur, you're always selling something, right? Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's good. That's really good. Um, So, I mean, for somebody like yourself, I mean, you're, Got an active Kickstarter right now. You've you've been doing this for a while. You're running a company here. What are some of the tips or techniques that you do to sort of um, stay up on tasks? Um, are there any tools that you use? You know, what do you do to get through the day and make sure that you're uh, organized and on top of everything? Yeah, I mean, I, I use a lot of the like super standard stuff. Um, I live on Google and everything Google from my email to my tasks to my calendar. Um, I'm obsessive about inbox zero. So like nothing stays in my inbox. Um, uh, if I don't need to be seeing it, um, we use Slack as just an internal communications tool. Um, and then of course we are pretty obsessive about, you know, our Google analytics. We have mixed panel set up. We have, uh, Shopify for our e-com. Um, that's paused right now, but that's where we're doing everything, uh, once we're off, uh, Kickstarter. So yeah, I'd say I'm pretty standard in sort of the different tools that I use, but I think it's more about just sort of, for me, I'd say that making sure that I keep my inbox in order, because like, I find that my head, the state of my inbox reflects the state of my head. So if I can like have that be clear, then I can kind of take on um, other projects. Um, Dropbox is also like a huge part of our internal workflow. That's where sort of everything that we have lives. That's cool. Yeah, I'm at nine emails right now, so I feel pretty good about today. So for a Monday, that's pretty good. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm definitely <laughs> not. Um, so... <laughs> <laughs> you know, you'll get there. I, I believe in the inbox zero too. You, my last interview, uh, the Mycroft Kickstarter, he, he was also a zero inbox guy. I think that's that's going to be a new trendy yeah. thing. You got to be zero inbox. So, what do you do to um, what do you do to unwind? How do you get away from this? How do you escape? You know, which I think is hard for all entrepreneurs. And you know, h- how do you unplug? 
I think that life goes in phases and I am not in an unplugged phase right now. So I'd say like we're going through Y Combinator, which is a three month incubator program. Uh, it ends in about a month. So it's sort of like all hands on deck. Things are pretty crazy mm-hmm. right now. Um, more generally, um, I recently moved uh, to a house about two hours north of Toronto, um, kind of in the middle of nowhere. And that's where I am, you know, 90% of the time when I'm not traveling or doing things like Y Combinator. Um, And I found that just like being away from the city gives me so much more clarity. And I find that it's so much easier to unwind and detach. And you don't feel that constant need to like be out in the city. Um, We still have like all of our friends come up and I find we actually see our friends way more because they actually come for days at a time rather than just, you know, going to meet up for an hour. Um, But I think that like detachment from the city has been a huge like mental health (laughs) break for me over the last uh, year and a half or however long we've been up there. Um, sometimes it's exercise. I'd say the last couple months, that's been pretty bad. Um, but, but I find that that's a, a great way to get away when I'm in a little bit less crazy, uh, time sure, with the company. Awesome. Well, let's flip over to the actual Kickstarter campaign. That's, which is why we're talking. So right now we're talking, you've got about 28 days to go. You had a $25,000 goal and you're currently sitting at just under 80,000. So you're doing very well in this campaign right now, which I'm, I'm sure you know. Um, so what did you do or what was the overall strategy, I should say, leading up to the campaign so that you knew you're going to have a good, a good launch? Yeah, I'd say that we probably could have done more in terms of like building up excitement, building up a mailing list before the campaign. And that's something I would do better next time. Um, But things that we were very conscious about were testing our messaging, testing our designs and working on our Kickstarter video pretty obsessively before the campaign. So um, we had already put up our website, we'd already put up our social media, we'd already been testing different content out with our market. Um, and that's what really helped us hone in on our message for the campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the video itself, I wrote the script with um, one of our investors who's been a huge supporter. Um, and we put that together, I'd say about two weeks before we did the filming. Um, but making sure that video was right, um, was a big part of getting ready for the campaign. Um, and then just making sure that, you know, we obsessed the page and made sure it was a whole story. And then when the campaign went live, really just like hounding our friends and family to get the initial momentum to get the campaign going, to get the initial backers, to get the project trending. That was a really big part of, of what we did in the first, let's call it 48 hours. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, having come from the pre-order world, I knew that if the first 48 hours of your campaign, you didn't like hit half of your goal, the chances of you hitting your goal in the you know next 40 days were pretty low. Right. So we were pretty obsessive in making sure, how do we hit our goal within the first 48 hours to give this campaign a real shot at success? Um, and like that comes down literally to like emailing everyone, you know, calling them, mm-hmm. like being the most annoying person on earth right. really for 48 hours. Um, but all of those little things really do add and add up and help. So I thought it was interesting that you mentioned the, the work you did on the video. I always, um, cause I like your video cause it's got that touch of humor to it, right? It's not all, you know, tchotchke funny, but there's that touch of it. Right. Um, and I think those can go from what I've seen in the past, those can go, bad and those can go really great. I think you're on the great side of it. Um, like, was there a conversation around that when you're writing out the script? Is, is it something that you're like, we want to have this sort of tongue in cheek humor type of vibe to it? Or, or like, what was the conversations around that? 
Yeah, so I definitely wanted it to have a touch of humor because I just thought that, like, with our problem specifically, like, it's not like we're selling a smartwatch. We're selling pantyhose that rip at the most inconvenient times of your life, right? right? right. So, like, that's naturally lends itself to humor. Um, And I think, like, most women would, like, totally relate with those, like, scenarios of where it's just, like, that was like so inconvenient or also just even like the problem itself. The fact that there's this product that you wear that like rips from a fingernail, like it's just ridiculous. Right. So I think just what we're working on really lends itself to that. And I think that the humor really helps the customers relate to the times in their life that they've been in similar situations. Um, so that was definitely part of what we, we wanted to do. And I think as we work on new videos and new content, um, that's going to, I think, be a, a thread that sort of carries out throughout the brand. Yeah, that, that's, that's awesome because I, I, I think you're spot on. It does a good job of painting those pictures, um, which I can imagine you ladies have been in <laughs> multiple times, you know, the, like the bathroom scene and all this sort of stuff. I think that did a really, really good job of within an instant you get the problem and you have the solution. So I think it did a really, really good job on that. Um, Yeah. And something else that's been like really fascinating with our project is I'd say about 30% of our backers are men. Interesting. Um, Which, yeah, is super interesting. I'd say a lot of it is um, people buying gifts, Hmm. but there's also a small segment I think that are buying for themselves, which is a market I didn't really know much about until Kickstarter. So um, for like, guys that are listening to this, like whether it's from the gift or other perspective, like we thought initially when we were starting out that this was going to be sort of a female directed brand, yeah. but our backers are really showing interest from like all genders. And I think a lot of it from the men's side too, is that they understand their partner's frustration. Like they've been getting ready for the wedding and then their girlfriend like right. rips her pantyhose and they have to go searching for pantyhose. So I think it's a pain that like goes beyond just the person yeah, that's wearing them as well. Um, but yeah, that's, well, that's, I, I was just going to ask about if there's been anything weird in your dashboard. And that might be it right there that you've got men purchasing. You know, like that, that might be the interesting take on this. Yeah. And I think that some of the men too, like beyond just like, I think a lot of them are even just buying it because they think it's cool. Yeah. Right. Like they don't even know what they're going to do with it. Right. right. <laughs> but it's like made of bulletproof fibers <laughs> and like super strong. So it's cool. That's, so. that's awesome. Well, so, you know, with, with 28 days to go, you've got a lot of time ahead of you. So what sort of um, some of the strategies you're using to keep the momentum going, obviously outside of being on this podcast, but what are some of the other things that you're thinking about doing to, to keep the momentum going? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, you know, podcasts and media are great. They sort of keep the buzz going. Um, We're doing a lot of different trials with Kickstarter Live, um, which has been kind of cool. Um, I think it's a pretty new thing that Kickstarter is doing. Um, But um, we've done a couple Kickstarter Lives already. We're going to be doing one next week with uh, Eric Majakowski, who founded Pebble, just sort of talking through the challenges of running campaigns and manufacturing. So I think that's going to be fun. we're, we're playing with, you know, different marketing strategies on social. So yeah, just trying to sort of test the waters and, and see what works and see what gets the message out in the right places. That's cool. So after the, you know, 28 days to go in the campaign and, and then the, you know, that two week window to get all the money in, um, what starts right after that? What's your first steps out of the gate? Um, after you probably take a deep breath and collect the money. 
Yeah. Um, for us, really, it's going you know into manufacturing, getting the first fiber production done, and then getting the initial products produced and out to backers um, for this fall. So, um, yeah, really just full-on uh, manufacturing mode after that. And, and for something like this, is, is this something that you had contacts with manufacturing, I think, from your past? Or did you have to find something new? Or... I, what does manufacturing mean in, in a product like this? Yeah, so um, one of our equity partners is um, a manufacturer of textiles and wearables. Um, they happen to be based in Toronto, where uh, I'm based as well. Um, I didn't know them before starting this, but once I started it, um, different people that I knew in the startup world um, kept bringing up this company's name, and ultimately we got connected and just seemed like such a perfect fit. Um, I had another contact that works in innovation textiles, um, prior to this and, um, they've come on board and they've been helping us with the supply chain. Um, and then our, our fiber supplier and contact, um, that's all been new, very specific to this type of product. So, um, a lot of it has been sort of based on my network as the basis, but new relationships that have had to be built specifically for this product. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. So, where do you see this product in like the next five years? Where do you, where do you see what do you see growth? Do you see more product lines? What what do you, what do you guys see? Yeah, um, so I think that there's a huge amount of growth possible just within hosiery. So sheer tights, more opaque tights, different styles of tights. I don't see us realistically needing to move beyond that specific product category for the next couple of years at least. Um, there are about $8 billion worth of pantyhose that gets sold every year. Um, and we think that we can make a huge dent in that market. Um, so that's my my focus over over the next few years. So colors, styles, that's where we'll grow. And uh, maybe down the line, there's interesting applications in athletic wear and other you know, types of products that need this type of indestructibility. But I think the biggest pain point um, and the biggest market opportunity for us right now is hosiery. So without maybe giving away any secrets, my next question is, is that has, is there any sort of other, you know, uses that this could be for like, like, like the science behind this could be used for other things. Is that something you're exploring at all? Uh, well, so like I said, athletic wear is probably the closest. Um, so, mm. you know, tights for football for other types of like climbing and things like that where you're going to be going through you know pretty severe conditions uh cycling so lightweight um clothing that needs to also be really strong um this fiber makes a lot of sense for that but again i I think that those are more tangential markets for us and and the primary opportunity is in hosiery right now do do you see an opportunity down the road of of a company buying into this or buying you out or taking this idea? Is that something that you guys think about at all? I think if you build something interesting enough and scary enough to the existing incumbents, then then sure, I think that that's always on the table. Um, but our focus is really on, on building that big brand, building Shirley Genius into, into a, a real company that uh, has market share in the industry. Gotcha. So and this was, is this was more around you personally. I mean, is this something that you see yourself working on this type of company or being the CEO or the, the the top dog and something like this? Or is this something where you might see yourself putting this company to somebody else and you go starting another one because you love starting companies? Like, like what, where do you see like the next 10 years for you going? 
I, I think it really depends on, on where this goes and, and what type of CEO this company needs, right? If, if I'm the right mm-hmm. person at any given stage of the company to build this and grow this and, and take it to the next level, then, you know, as long as it's interesting, as long as it's growing, as long as I'm the right person, you know, what I like doing is building companies. So, you know, yeah. I, th- I think the idea of building a billion dollar company and leading that is, is extremely exciting. That said, I think that, you know, you do what's right for the company at any given stage. If, you know, need someone else, it needs someone else. And, you know, I just am happy to be part of the story. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, where can people find out more information even outside of like the Kickstarter stuff? How can people dive into your, uh, into your online world? Yeah, for sure. They can check us out at cheerleadgenius.com. They can check us out um, on Instagram or Facebook at cheerleadgenius. And of course, check us out on Kickstarter. Awesome. Well, Catherine, I think I appreciate it so much for you taking time out of your busy schedule to uh, to talk about your campaign. Looks like an ingenious product. Looks really awesome, and uh, I think you're going to get a backer from me for the, for the old wife over here. Not for me personally, uh, <laughs> but maybe maybe for the wife, and uh, we, I can get rid of. I can maybe gain a drawer. You know, that's we can get a. We can now have six drawers back. It would be awesome. So, but I appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me. All right, I told you that was a great conversation. Sorry we had a little bit of scruffly going on there. I don't really know what that was from, but you know, y- you got to roll with it, right? Where this is this is what it's like being a uh, entrepreneur in the startup world. You just roll with it and uh, conversation was still great. So, uh, Catherine again, I appreciate it and everybody go check out Shirley Genius over on Kickstarter right now. Uh, song we listen to is a song called Can't Keep Holding You. It features Lulu Doll on vocals. It was on an album that nobody's heard until I released it up on Spotify, which is coming shortly. Um, So stay tuned for that. But I hope you guys have a great week. Remember, go check out our mini podcast. Subscribe to that now over on iTunes. In a couple weeks, we're going to have the new podcast coming from from our business partner, Sean Neal, which I don't know if it has a title yet. We're going to work on that. We're going to have that. We'll be announcing that soon. I'll have Sean on, and we're going to be talking about that. So uh, hope you guys have a great week, and I'll talk to you all later. Your world starts spinning every time I'm near The scene around you slowly disappears It's morning No, I can't hold on to you No, 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 no Whatever it is I leave your trouble mine Shoes and make up your keys and make up your things and go and go and go.